Tonight's scripture reading will be coming from Isaiah 32:17 and Hebrews 10:19 through 23. The fruit of that righteousness will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unanswerly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Good evening. That's beautiful singing. Open your Bibles to Matthew 27. That's going to be our text for tonight. The verses are not going to be on the screen, so you're going to need a Bible, and you can follow along that way. I want to open by reading these verses before we jump into our lesson tonight. Matthew 27. So we're working our way through the story. Obviously, to put all the Bible in one book, chronological, there's some things that um, are left out. And so tonight, we're going to be looking at one of those details. Matthew 27 opens like this. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned for the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, It is against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Every year since 1970 at Madame Tussauds Wax Museum in London, England, when the visitors come, they're asked to name which person, uh, living or deceased, past or present, um, which one is hated or feared the most? The name that has topped that list the most, the most number of times, has been Adolf Hitler. But there have been some other names as well. For several years, it was Osama bin Laden, uh, Idi Amin, Richard Nixon, Margaret Thatcher, Jack the Ripper. But as far as I was able to tell, Judas Iscariot never made the list. But think about it. I mean, Judas Iscariot... The man that all of history knows is the one who betrayed Jesus Christ, the Son of God. His name is synonymous with betrayal. None of the other 11 disciples made Collins' English uh, Bible, I mean, English dictionary, but Collins defines Judas as the disciple who betrayed Jesus, a traitor or a betrayer. If immortality is what Judas was after, he got it. We remember him. And we remember his name. People don't really like Judas. We don't like what he did. We don't like what he represented. When's the last time you've met someone named Judas? You know, it's not uncommon for us to use a Bible name when we are naming a little boy or a little girl. 
You know, it could be Matthew, Sarah, Rachel, Joshua, Luke, Paul, Judas. Doesn't make the list. For that matter, you might remember Jesus had a younger brother. His name was Judas. But when he wrote the letter that would later become part of the New Testament, he, for whatever reason, chose the shorter version of his name, Jude. Why? We don't read in our Bible about First and Second Pete, you know, or Philemon. You could call it Phil, but Jude. I would have done the same thing, wouldn't you? Take a new name, a nickname, uh, maybe a way to change it a little bit. But Judas Iscariot, who was he really? You know, we don't know a lot about him. We do know his father was Simon. His surname is Iscariot, probably a combination of the two words that you put them together and it means man of Cariot. But what we have written in the Gospels, to me, seems to leave more questions than answers. I've been studying that this week. The Gospel of Mark, for example, gives no motivation for Judas' sudden betrayal. I mean, he seems to be part of the twelve and then it's the, the moment and then he becomes the bad guy. But there's not a lot of indication of this along the way. I mean, confusing things even further, Mark records Jesus telling Judas at the Last Supper, do what you must do. Sort of hinting that there's another power at play. That Judas is maybe not in this alone. There's some coercion forced upon him. Matthew, writing about a decade or so later than Mark, attempts to clarify clarify things a little bit, and he introduces that motive of greed that maybe we think about the most. What are you willing to give me? You remember, that's what Judas went to the leaders and asked. The theme is taken up by the Gospel of John as well. Well before the betrayal, Judas is depicted as that greedy keeper of the purse. Even grabbed into that a little bit himself. For instance, you remember when Jesus was anointed by the costly perfume? Not everybody appreciated that. And Judas was the one who spoke up talking about that money could be used. Given to the poor. And then John, sort of writing the gospel, an aside to the reader, says this, John 12, 6, He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and a keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put into it. So the gospel of John paints Judas as greedy and and as a thief. But that was written in hindsight. Years later, after all this happened. Remember at the Last Supper, when Jesus was there with all of them, He said one of them would betray Him. You remember that? And you don't see a lot of finger pointing going on. In fact, there's no record of anyone suspecting Judas at that time. John 13, 22, His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them He meant. And you remember something said, is it me? You remember that? Then Luke's Gospel shares no small detail to be considered. He records that just before that Last Supper, Satan had entered into Judas. Those are the words. Satan had entered into Judas. Daniel J. Harrington, a New Testament scholar, said that for the interested reader, this phrase from Luke explained, quote, either everything or nothing. And there's another hypothesis on the table. We would probably quickly dismiss it, but 
It's obviously not stated by scriptures. But that these evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they simply concocted the entire story for dramatic purposes. But why would they do that? We don't think it's plausible because we believe the Bible to be inspired. But also think about this. By most accounts, Mark's gospel was written about 70 A.D. So that's quite a while after the death, but only 40 years after the death of Jesus. So a lot of the people who had been friends of Jesus, who had heard Jesus, they would still be living. So the early Christian community would, would have still been there to call their hand. So Matthew and Luke, even though theirs is 10 to 15 years later, they would have had some contemporaries there to hold them accountable. And all of these would presumably have been criticized with you know, taking that kind of liberty, just add that in for dramatic effect. But rather, as one said, Judas' betrayal of Jesus was a known and most embarrassing fact. And that's sort of me, if you think about it, they probably wouldn't want to include it. Not concoct the story. They'd be embarrassed about one of their own that had been with Jesus, turned on him at that moment. But overall, though, none of the accounts recorded in the gospel provides a, a convincing reason. You ever felt that way? Why did he do it? Really. There's a hint here, a hint there. But we're left to wonder. I mean, greed, for example. Was that it? Was that the reason? Because in a way, it falls short. Consider this. Why would a greedy person, in it for the money, follow a penniless rabbi for three years and then become greedy? See, that doesn't hold a lot of water, at least not to me. So from the Scriptures, we discover that he was appointed treasurer of the, for the twelve. He became a thief. He did help himself from that same treasury. But what would compel a man to sentence one of his closest friends to the most brutal death known? Well, I want to share this. If you want to take notes, William Barclay, professor of divinity of Glasgow University, he gives several reasons. I won't list them all. But I think I put five blanks on there. Why did Judas do it? It's been suggested first that Iscariot means man of Kerouac. We mentioned that earlier. What that means, though, is he's the only non-Galilean in the group. He's the odd man out. Maybe he felt different. Maybe he was shunned. Maybe it's like you're the only one that goes to your school and everybody else goes to the same school. And you feel like you're the outsider. Therefore, that, that Hebrew name, man from Kirioth, that's the area in Judea. It's a city. That's where he was from, making him the outsider. Or number two, maybe he did do it for greed. Maybe it's all about the money. I think he would have denied that if you asked him. But it's kind of even true today. You know, if somebody is saying something, well, it's not about the money. You know what that means? It's about the money. We say it. It's not. But so many times it is. I think we discount that, you know, it was just 30 pieces of silver. It was a pocket full of coins. Not that much. But if you research it, it was that much. One that I read said maybe ten to $12,000. Or to me, the best uh, accurate uh, description would be to say four months' wages. So just take your annual salary and divide it by four. That's a lot of money. 
to making one evening's work. And sometimes money talks so loud it can't be ignored. Or number three, maybe for Judas, it was hate. Maybe he just came to hate Jesus. I mean, from others, he could disguise his black heart, his true colors. But Jesus saw him for who he was. And for Judas, it just became too much. Remember, all the way up to the Last Supper, none of the others even suspected Judas. No finger pointing. But Jesus knew him. Or number four, it may be that word Iscariot is, is not so much a, a region as much as it would be uh, from the Greek word that means dagger bearer. And this is a group of people. Dagger bearers was kind of like their nickname. They were a band of violent nationalists. They were prepared to, uh, to take over their people, Palestine. They wanted the Romans to be out. And they were willing to take it in their own hands. So dagger bearer was a descriptive term because that's who they were. And they weren't afraid to use it. And so maybe Judas saw in Jesus the very person who was going to lead them. Who was going to make it happen. And he was right there with him. But then later, when Judas started listening to what Jesus was saying, understanding, maybe he's the one who heard, I'm about to die, I'm about to die, I'm about to die. Maybe Judas got it. And with that, Judas gave up. He's not going to overthrow the Roman government. Not the way we thought. So Judas turned against him in his bitter betrayal and just gave up. But then again, this group, they're known as dagger bearers. Not those who rat them out. Not those who betray them. Those who are not afraid to take a life. If that was Judas, why didn't he just kill Jesus? Well, Barclay suggests that the likeliest of all of, of Jesus being handed over to the Romans, that Judas did this to force him to act. That he did believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and that this Messiah was going to take over, and so he was kind of making this happen to force Jesus to do that. what Judas was so ready for him to do. See, we, we know this, that it was a, a common thought, because they, they were often thinking about an earthly kingdom. They would talk about throw, overthrowing the Roman government. But if that's true, Judas had to see the tragic ex, uh, experience of seeing his plan go so desperately wrong. Because Jesus didn't overthrow the government. He didn't step up and say, okay, now's the time. You've forced my hand. I have no other choice. Instead, they arrested him and started the trial. I think about this, and I wonder, what does all this mean? See, if Judas only expected a measure of good to come from his actions, then suicide might make sense. But I'm not sure that Barclay's got it right. Because I circle back around to what the Gospel says about Satan entering him. And that doesn't seem to jive with this other explanation. But whatever the motive... Judas will go down in history, being synonymous with betrayal. Well, here's another question to ask. When Judas hung himself on that day, what did he miss? What did he miss? Well, look back at your text. Matthew 27, verse 5. It says, Then Judas threw the money onto the floor of the temple and went out and hanged himself. 
If you keep reading in, in Matthew's account, you, you understand the timing of this. This happened before Christ was sentenced. This happened before Pilate finished the questioning of Jesus. Judas was already dead. Before Barabbas was released, Judas was dead. Before Jesus was scourged, Judas was dead. Before the crown of thorns was pushed on Judas, Jesus' head, Judas was dead. Before he died on the cross, even nailed to the cross, Judas was dead. See, the real tragedy is this. You remember one of Jesus' last words when he was hanging on the cross and he's looking out at that mob that had beat him and spit on him and called him names and nailed him to the cross? You remember the words... Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. But Judas wasn't there. Judas was already dead. So the first and most important thing that Judas missed was forgiveness. He missed the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Now, you may be one of those that thinks that what Judas did was beyond forgiveness. That there's no way to forgive him. But remember what Peter wrote, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Did you catch that? The Lord does not want anyone to perish. Anyone. Even Judas? I think so. And just as it was Judas' decision to betray Christ, it was Judas' choice not to seek forgiveness. I think to write off the possibility that Judas could not be forgiven is scary. You see, Christ offering forgiveness is not dependent on our behavior. Jesus' words on the cross, Father, forgive them. I don't read that in that they are absolved from that. I think that's His prayer for them. They have to accept that forgiveness. That's the way I read. That's the way I understand that forgiveness of God is not motivated by our actions or whether or not we deserve it. It's motivated by the grace of God, the goodness of God. And surely Judas needed that undeserved love much more than you and I did do. But to me, the saddest part of the story of Judas is he came so close and when we read about him, I mean, if you were to list three things that are a part of forgiveness, I think number one would be the acknowledgement of our sin. You have to acknowledge your sin. But then number two, there has to be a sense of remorse about that sin. And then number three, you have to accept the forgiveness that's offered. By faith, you accept what has been given to you. See, just because you know you sin and just because you're sorry for it, that doesn't mean you're forgiven. There's a part where you've got to accept that. So how close did Judas come? Back to your text, Matthew 27, 4. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed an innocent man. An acknowledgement of sin. And Judas doesn't try to justify himself or offer up excuses. Well, you know, it's just a matter of time until they found him and arrested him anyway. I just kind of sped the problem. He doesn't do that. He's not defending his actions. Instead, he says, I have sinned. I've betrayed an innocent man. Verse 3, when Judas, who has betrayed him, saw what Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. Took those 30 pieces of silver back to the chief priests and the elders. Filled with remorse. Most of us have felt remorseful over something we've done in our life. But if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit that we feel that remorse when either we've been caught 
or we're having to face the consequences of our choice. I think about it, for the most part, we're like King David when he said, <clears throat> confess, I've sinned against the Lord. But he only said that after Nathan confronted him. He knew he had sinned well before that conversation with Nathan. And we can be just like him. And yet even with Judas's acknowledgement of his sin and his remorsefulness, he still couldn't bring himself to seek forgiveness. To me, that's the tragedy of it all. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all know that. We need to know that. And to be remorseful, to feel bad about our sin. But for some reason, some can't bring themselves to ask to seek forgiveness. Don't know what's holding them back. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's stubbornness. I do know it's a dangerous game to play. So you don't have to hang yourself. You don't have to take your own life to miss the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Three days after Jesus and Judas died, Jesus rose again. But Judas was still dead. And as Christ appeared to the disciples after His resurrection, He made a statement that would never apply to Judas. John 20, 19, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, do you remember? Peace. Peace be with you. So that's the second thing that Judas missed, was peace. When you read those opening verses of Matthew 7, you learn that peace eluded Judas. When you're reading those verses, there's nothing peaceful about it. He seemed to live without it, and he obviously dies without it. This is the peace that Christ promised His disciples in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. But remember the context. That's John 14. If I'm reading my Bible right, that was said after Judas left them. So he didn't hear at least that statement from Jesus about peace. And it was just hours after those words that Judas' lips would betray his own Lord. I wonder if Judas struggled with his decision knowing what Jesus has taught. Other times he talked about peace. I wonder if even when he was craving peace that he knew it would never be his. What we know is that this world, this world can never give us peace. Not real peace. And that's why suicide takes the lives of 40,000 Americans every year. 40,000. And that's why for young people, suicide is the second leading cause of death. We look happy. We look like we've got it all together because we're so good at wearing a mask. We may think we've got the world by the tail, but we know deep down we don't. We know who we are. And we know the darkness. We know that absence of peace that is not there. Felix Powell was the composer of the famous song, Pack Up Your Troubles in Your Old Kit Bag and Smile, Smile, Smile. Any of you remember that? If you do, you're really old because it was written in World War I. But it, it became just known by everyone. At one time, it was called the most optimistic song ever written. Yet Powell died by his own hand. 40,000 take their own lives every year. Why? 
I think to me the obvious truth, they're missing a critical ingredient, and that's peace. Paul wrote in a letter to the Christian in the city of Philippi, these words, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and here's what happens. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you have that, if you've experienced that, then you know that when you talk with someone who doesn't have it, you can't explain it. I mean, you can, you can talk about it, but, and they want to know, but they just don't get it. It may even look at you strange. See, when most people talk about peace, they, they in their minds maybe think about the absence of war or the absence of conflict. But peace, as the Bible describes it, is much more than that. In the Greek word, what it, in the Greek, the word really means to set at one again, wholeness. It's the idea of all the essential parts joined together. And it's used in the context of relationships. So when you say the peace of God, peace with God, it just all goes, that's the peace we're talking about. When we're granted forgiveness, our relationship with God is restored. That's the peace. It just, it's like one, two, it comes together. So Judas missed that restoration. That, that, the completeness of the relationship. Suicide doesn't solve problems, it creates them. And I am convinced that Judas, had he sought the forgiveness that only Christ could give, that he would experience the peace that only Christ can provide. See, one thing that most commentators will agree on is that Judas was a fervent uh, nationalist, that idea of a dagger bear. That's why that's one of the theories that's out there. He was looking for an end of the Roman rule. He wanted the, the Jewish enslavement to finally come to an end. And he thought the answer was in Jesus. And that brings us to the third thing that Judas missed, and that was power. I think that's what he was hungry for. I think that's what he was wanting. And not just Judas, I think the other 11 wanted it too. They would power to make a difference. They would power to affect change. They would power to, to get things done that, that need to get done. I think you and I might could fall in the same category. And yet, his demise brings an image that could be described by anything but power. When Judas came to the end of his relatively short life, he obviously felt so powerless to cope. These events that engulfed him, and most, they were his own doing. And the sad reality is that Judas was so caught up in his own problems, he was missing this one thing that he was craving the most. Just 40 days, 40 days after Judas died, Jesus made this promise to remaining 11 disciples. Acts 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And within 10 days, 10 days after Jesus said that, it came true. That promise of unparalleled magnitude. And Judas missed out on it all. That promise fulfilled. That power that Christ gave to His disciples. That world-changing power. That word that we have in our English Bibles as power in the Greek is, is dunamos. 
which we have brought into our language to be like dynamic or dynamo or dynamite. That's the power that we're talking about here. That same power that Judas desired but missed is available to every one of us. But as I was studying this, I thought, you know, we don't talk about power like that very much as a church. But the Holy Spirit is no less powerful today. Maybe it's just us failing to claim that power or exercise that power. You know, Jesus taught us about us being meek and kind and turning the other cheek and going the second mile and being patient, loving your enemy, praying for them. But He never painted a picture of a weak and timid kingdom. Let's not get confused with that. Matthew 16, 18, he said, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's not weakness. That's not timidity. That's power. And the church of Jesus Christ will overcome. But Judas missed it. Judas missed a lot. He missed the forgiveness of Christ. He missed, missed the peace of God. He missed the power of the Holy Spirit. But what I want you to get is that you don't have to. All that Judas missed is available for you at this moment. Christ's forgiveness is available today as it was 2,000 years ago. And you don't have to do anything to deserve it because you can't deserve it. You just have to accept it. And that peace of God still surpasses understanding and that power of the Holy Spirit can change you. As you come up out of that water of baptism, you are washed clean. You are giving the seal of the Spirit and His power is at work within you. But just as Judas had to make the choice for himself, you have to make your own choice. We're going to stand and sing this song to encourage you to do just that. Let's sing.